Well, hello, friends. It's been a bit since I've dropped a midweek. I finished up with Kings and took a little break. I'm heading into a sabbatical. I'm not sure when I'm going to upload this, but uh, one thing I wanted to try, I'm really used to doing one chapter at a time. I want to try one shot. Which means I'm going to try to get through the entire book of Ruth in one shot. And I'm not sure if I'll just upload this all at once or if I'll chop it up. Depends on what I've got time and energy for. Only got a week and a half left. Um, so I want to go through the book of Ruth. And I want to try to digest the whole thing in one shot. And the reason is um, a bit of a challenge. I want to see what the Lord will do. Maybe it will be the worst thing I've ever done. But... Um, books are meant like Bible books are meant to kind of be seen in a whole as a whole and when we read them just a chapter at a time it can really break up seeing the unity of the book and so by trying to tackle this in one go um, I want to see more closely all the interconnections and the unity of the story now I think I have preached this once uh, maybe five years ago I tried to do the whole book in one sermon and that was that was uh, a challenge but um, May the Lord help me and us together as we look at the book of Ruth. So a little bit of background. This is just off the top of my head. The main idea of this story is to give some uh, family background to King David. Explain a bit of his heritage. It focuses around a Gentile woman who by faith enters into the covenant people of God. Um, so it's a great um, example almost of justification by faith. It's those who believe who are the children of Abraham. And Ruth proves that with her great faith. So it's an example of how faith and faithfulness go together. Ruth's trust in the God of Israel is shown in her faithfulness to one of the daughters of Israel. Um, this book takes place in the time of the judges. So it's a few generations before David starts. So that would put it in the time of the judges. And that's, we're told that right in the first chapter. And also it deals with this theme of uh, famine and bounty, blessing, um, and restoration. Um, there's almost like a going down to and coming out of Egypt vibe to the first chapter for sure. Um, I think Ruth sometimes has been described as kind of a, kind of a Proverbs 31 woman in a sense with her hard work and her noble character um, earning her a place among the righteous not earning but you know what I mean displaying her worth and the praise that she gets and perhaps also gives us some sense of why King David uh, who may have met Ruth it's not at all difficult to imagine that that's true uh, may have been the king uh, a king who's really known for spending lots of time in gentle territory having Gentiles follow him and uh, be the true king of Israel, but also have a place at his table for Gentiles willing to follow him. Without further ado, and we'll make more comments as we go, let's get into Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, it happened in the days when the judges judged that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, somebody said before, I didn't make this up, that we have a bit of a setup here. There's a famine in the land, and a man is going down to sojourn. And that's probably meant to remind us of Abraham, or the patriarchs, who a few times went down to sojourn during a famine. Stayed a while in a foreign country, and then came back really rich. That's what happened to Joseph, the way he went into Egypt uh, a slave he became really wealthy and the israelites came out super wealthy after their slavery but particularly with abraham and his descendants they went during famines into foreign lands and god protected them and sent them home wealthy so we'll see what happens the name of the man was elimelech and the name of his knife wife was naomi which means pleasant and the name of his two sons were malon and chilean ephrathites of bethlehem judah they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now remember, uh, Moab is of some family connection to Abraham. These are uh, Lot's descendants. So Lot, the nephew of Abraham, had two sons uh, who were also his grandsons through his daughters. And Moab means from my 
from my father and so um, the bible narrators um, link that name to where they were born from and so the moabites were not on friendly terms with the israelites but they did have a blood connection Verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. They took them wives, and of the, of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Malon and Chilion died, both of them. And the women, and the woman was left, uh, and the woman was left of her two children and of her husband. So I'm reading uh, the World English Bible because it's uh, free usage online to read the whole book in one go. And so I may stumble over the words sometimes. Okay, so as I was saying, you know, there may have been this theology of sojourning famines in foreign lands and coming back rich, but that's not the story here thus far. They've gone down, and up, up to this point, Naomi has lost everything. She's lost her husband. They have... Um, taken on probably a bit of a shameful act of marrying these foreign women. Um, of course, the the right thing to do would have been to get uh, Israelite daughters for their sons, but here they are in a foreign land. Uh, father's dead. They are now looking to starting families, and they marry these foreign women. So this isn't this isn't going as planned, not at all. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that they might return from the country of Moab. And she had heard in the country of Moab that Yahweh, or the Lord, had visited his people in giving them bread. She went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Okay, so the scene is they lose everything, and now Naomi is um, alone with these daughters-in-law, and she hears now that actually the blessing has returned to their homeland and it hasn't come while they sojourned so it's just a catastrophe and she's going to return home because it sounds like things have recovered there um, they they aren't coming home wealthy she's coming home destitute but she's going to head back because the lord is showing up here now this is one of these stories where we don't um, have the the prophet narrator of the story going into heaven and telling us um, God's thoughts very often I don't think at all in fact he is named unlike in the book of Esther but we don't have um, the prophet saying the Lord did this or the Lord did this um, explicitly very much this is about as close as we get that Yahweh has visited his people and um, is going to give them bread now she went forth from the place where she was and two daughters-in-law with her and they went on their way to return to the land of judah naomi said to her daughters-in-law go return each of you to her mother's house yahweh deal kindly with you as you've dealt with me with the dead and with me yahweh or the lord grant you that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept so off they go, and Naomi doesn't want to bring these girls home with them. And she speaks very graciously, and she wants her God. She names her God Yahweh, and so Yahweh is the covenant name of the Lord. And when you read the Lord in like an English Standard Version, it's just saying the Lord for um, what's called a tetragrammaton, which is the four-letter name of God in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, or yod Hey Va Hey Vav Hey. And in this translation, they're obviously using that covenant name. Uh, by the time of Jesus, they avoided, the, the scribes avoided using the covenant name of God. They considered it too holy. And so whenever they had the covenant name, they would read the Hebrew word Adonai, which meant Lord. And so there you go. But either one's fine. We are, as Christians, the true children of God. And so it's no problem to call your father by his uh, by his honorable name. This is an honorable name, a name of covenant relationship. It's an honorable name, and it's no problem for their children to call their father by his honorable name. So everyone's weeping because Naomi is trying to face a fact and, and send the daughters home so that they can try to find a life on their own uh, with new husbands. Verse 10, they said to her, No, but we will return with you and your people, to your people. So they have initial loyalty. 11. 
Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why do you? Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore stay from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sake, for the hand of Yahweh is gone against me. Okay, so they're a bound family, and the daughters have an obligation. It's called like the Leverite law. They have an obligation to raise up sons for the dead. So they should remarry uh, within the family. And the first son, I think that's how it worked, the first son each one would have would be considered a descendant of the dead son. And so what she's describing here, she's saying, hey, at the very soonest, it's going to be like 16 years. If even tonight I conceived and I had twin boys, um, it's going to be 16 years before you even begin to be able to have a family. And she just considers this rough, too much to ask, uh, an injustice. And, but this is all she can see is the impossibility of her situation. Now, it's really interesting because in that, just even talking about having twin sons, well, who else had twin sons? Uh, wasn't it uh, Isaac had twin sons? And so there are all these little hints about the patriarchs going here. Um, the patriarchs and looking for these miracle sons, Isaac's miracle sons. Uh, uh, yeah, Isaac's miracle sons, Abraham's miracle son, uh, Joseph and wanting for Rachel to bear him a son in her barrenness. And so we have this problem. It's not outright barrenness, but the sons are dead. And so she's effectively barren with these daughters who she has an obligation to provide sons for if their family's going to hold together. And she doesn't see any way to do this. In fact, she says, the hand of Yahweh has gone against me. So she, um, she is, you know, a bit of a Calvinist. Don't panic. Uh, but she has a high view of the sovereignty of God. She really do, does see God in control of all things. But at this point in her life, she sees it as a bitter thing that God has struck her, taken all this stuff away. And so she doesn't even have hope that there's going to be grace for her on her return. And that's why she's trying to send these daughters home. Verse 14. They lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth joined with her. Some translations say clung to her. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Return you after your sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Do not entreat me to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. Yahweh, do so to me and more also if anything but death part you and me. So Orpah is persuaded and she goes back and it's hard to judge her, but we do see Ruth's character come through here. And Ruth is given quite a long speech here. Naomi's given a long speech. So we, so we really get to hear her heart in biblical narratives. Um, speech is always about revealing the heart. And sometimes it comes out in a way where you can see that the heart is deceptive, where the speech doesn't line up with the action. You go, ah, it sounds like someone's pulling a fast one here. Uh, but when people are given quite, like more than one sentence, multiple sentences, this is an opportunity for the narrator to, to show us what's going on in someone's heart. And so Naomi gets to show how she's been meditating on the impossibility of the situation and how her desire to release the daughters from this obligation to bear sons for the dead is uh, motivated in a kind of compassion. But Ruth uh, wants to keep holding on. And it's very interesting here, the speech of gods. Okay, so uh, Naomi has been naming Yahweh as God here. And she says, go back with your sister-in-law to her people and her God. And so there is sort of this even sense of like being let go from the family of faith, um, from underneath Yahweh's name. And Ruth really holds on. And this speech um, is one of the greatest speeches of loyalty, I think, in 
in any book anywhere. Um, somebody said before one of the great themes of this book is chesed. Um, it's a Hebrew word that means covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness, steadfast love. It's it's hard to translate into English, but it is this sense of like binding yourself to someone, heart and soul, in the deepest loving covenant. And this is uh, part of the character of God. You know, in one of the Psalms, it's, it's I can't remember, is it 121 or 123 or something? It's just got this constant, every second line is his love endures forever um you know god rescued them from egypt his love endures forever and we sing this song you know his love endures forever that love is chesed is chesed um hasto olam in hebrew it is it means his his steadfast love his covenant love his loyal love is forever and this speech here of ruth um, shows one of the themes of the book, which is showing steadfast love to people, covenant faithfulness and steadfast love to people. And Ruth has this like speech of ultimate steadfast love. Stop asking me to leave. I am going with you. Where you stay, I'll stay. Um, I'm adopting myself into your people, she says. Your people should be my people, so I'm adopting the Israelites. And your God will be my God. So she's converted or converting. So even when she is told that Yahweh is struck Naomi, um, she's like, yeah, but he's my God, so I'm not going to leave you. So she's adopting herself into the people of faith unto death. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. And then she takes an oath. Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me. So this is how they would take oaths. Um, it's like not quite calling down a curse, but it's saying, may God judge me if I'm disloyal and I don't do covenant faithfulness to this promise I'm making you. So this is just such a huge act of steadfast love. She's like, I, I, I convert, I get adopted, and may your God hold me to my promise. And so it's amazing. And for Ruth to be introduced with this statement, we just see that she's such a woman of high character and faith. And she, she doesn't, this is faith, not sight. She knows there is no visible pathway forward to a husband for her. She knows that. She's been told it. She doesn't argue it. She doesn't start trying to manipulate the possibilities here. She just gives her heart to chesed and says that's how it's going to be. That's amazing. Verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left off speaking to her. So Naomi... Uh, doesn't say she's wrong, but she sees she can't win the argument, so she shuts up. So they went, so that they too went until they came to Bethlehem. Okay, so that scene of the whole journey in Moab is over, the, the scene of the travel. So, you know, like uh, years get taken up in the first few verses, and then we have this traveling scene, and now we're moving into the arrival of Bethlehem scene, which is going to wrap up chapter 1. Um, it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and the women said is this Naomi okay so you can just see that these two strange women walk into town and people notice them and they start to think wait I think I recognize one of them verse 20 and she said to them do not call me Naomi call me Mara so Naomi means like pleasant or sweet and Mara means bitter she says, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. So she has the different name there. Verse 21, I went out full and Yahweh has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, seeing Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, oh, I'm sure there's something really significant there that I'm not really catching on to with uh, the feast. But anyhow, it does set up a bit of a hopefulness, okay? They went out in a famine. They've come back in a barley harvest. So there's this sense of hope. It's also setting up that um, some of the next important scenes are going to all take place in a field during the harvest. But let's just deal with Naomi's speech here, okay? So I think, understandably, she's deeply wounded by what happened here. Uh, death of her husband and, her, and especially her two sons, I'm sure. Um, now, she describes it as going out full and coming back empty, which wasn't totally true. They went out in a famine, so they went out uh, with some kind of loss and in trouble. And 
What you can see for sure is that Naomi does not know yet the treasure she has in Ruth. Because by the time you're done this story, you know that Naomi has definitely lost family members, but has, is bringing back one of the best women of all time in human history with her. So she is rich. She just doesn't know it yet. And there's kind of a bit of a like sense of how God likes to tell stories there. People not knowing what he's up to. People not understanding all he's doing. And again, there's a bit of a sense of how God likes to play with character. You might remember when Samuel goes to find this new king to anoint after Saul's proven himself to be somewhat untrustworthy. Um, he goes to the household of Jesse and he's looking at all the sons and lots of the older sons are like big and strong and Samuel keeps going, it must be that guy, it must be that guy. And God rebukes him and says, I don't look on the outer man. And then he reveals the youngest son, David, to be the one that God has chosen, the one who has a heart after him. He sees his heart and he's chosen for his heart and he doesn't look on the outer man. And we have a similar situation here in David's grandmother, great-grandmother, I don't remember which one it is right now. But Naomi looks on Ruth and thinks, this can't be it. But God is, sees her inner womanhood and thinks, man, I got to get this woman into Israel so that she can be the, uh, an ancestor of the great king, as well as an ancestor of my son Jesus, eventually. And so we have this sense of like God looking on the heart, not on the outer person. Okay. Chapter 2. We're a quarter of the way through the book. And we've got this whole setup. Two broken women uh, in Bethlehem after a failed sojourn in Moab. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. Okay, so now the scene is going. Uh, we were introduced to the reality of Boaz. It's just good to know he's out there right now, apparently. Not sure why he's being introduced. But we're reminded of Elimelech, that he's from this area, and that he's dead. But he also has uh, a kinsman and someone who's pretty doing pretty good. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said, Go, my daughter. Okay, so Ruth, uh, Naomi's maybe faith is a bit low Ruth wants to get busy she sees a need and she asks for permission to go uh, but she's out there vulnerable she's a foreigner in a foreign land um, you might remember some of the stories of how foreigners treat people or Israelites even treat other Israelites in the time of the judges that whole fiasco with the Benjaminites and the Le Levites concubine uh, so this isn't entirely safe but Ruth sees a need, and she's willing to be brave. Verse 3, she went and came and gleaned in a field after the reapers, and she happened to come, quote-unquote happened, you know, this Yahweh that keeps getting named, who's in control of everything, and he's the Almighty, as Ruth was saying at the end of the last chapter. He superintends by providence over her ha happening to, to come, back to scripture, to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the family of Elimelech. It's important that they're, they're relatives, right? Verse 4, now we're going to really come to focus on Boaz. The attention, the camera is moving from Ruth to Boaz. Verse 4, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, Yahweh be with you. And they answered him, Yahweh bless you. So here's a sense that these are people who are living with a sense of the Lord in their lives. They're greeting each other in the name of the Lord. Then said Boaz to his servant who was set over the reapers, whose young lady is this? The servant who was set over the reapers answered, It is the Moabite lady who came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from the morning until now, except that she stayed a little in the house. Verse 8. Then said Boaz to Ruth. Okay, so you get this good report. He's being introduced to her. Then said Boaz to Ruth, Don't you hear my daughter? Or, or sorry, listen to me. He might, might be a better translation. Don't go to glean in any other field, neither pass from this one or from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. 
Let your eyes be on the field that they reap, and go after them. Haven't I charged the young men that they shall not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said to him, Excuse me? Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take knowledge of me, seeing that I am a foreigner? Okay? And here we go. Another act of Hesed. Boaz answered, It has been fully shown me that all that you have done to your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a place that you didn't know before. May the Lord or Yahweh recompense your work or so the Lord repay you, they might say, and a full reward be given to you from Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And it's good to note, under the wings. So you see this scene here. She's out there gleaning. Gleaning's this act of being uh, that, that the Lord had instituted in Israel that harvesters should on purpose um, not, not make sure they get all their harvest in but the poor would have the right to enter a field after the harvest and try to find some grain so they're picking up after and this was part of their welfare system it was a way for them to uh, for people who had no land to still have access to some kind of farming uh, without just getting a handout it's a very interesting technique so if somebody decided to work nothing they wouldn't eat but even a poor person would have access to some land. Now, Boaz, of course, realizes that it can be dangerous to be a foreign woman trying to glean in strangers' lands. And so he does say, I command you to stay here where I can take care of you. And I've actually told my people not to bother you. And you're allowed to come and drink from the well water that we draw. So you don't have to get dehydrated you don't have to get heat stroke you don't have to stop working and go far away to get water um, we'll take care of you and then she realizes that someone is really extending some mercy and grace and steadfast love to her and he, she asks why and he says because i know the steadfast love that you have shown to a, a relative of mine and i want god to bless you and repay you and so Boaz is participating with the character of God by rewarding this woman for her chesed. Uh, he, he knows that God is a God of chesed, seven, steadfast love, and so he wants to show steadfast love to those who are showing steadfast love. Again, it isn't legalistic at all. You can tell that Boaz is moved by this woman's character and her deeds and action and feels a joy and a rightness in providing for her in this as an act of worship to his god verse 13 then she said let me find favor in your sight my lord because you have comforted me and because you've spoken kindly to your handmaiden though i am not one of your handmaidens at mealtime boaz said to her come here and eat of the bread and dip your morsel in the vinegar um, and she sat beside the reapers and they reached her parchment of grain and she ate and was sufficed and left of it so this group meal that was provided for the workers she was invited to come and eat with them so again like again she's this foreign woman but she's been invited to eat with the people of god through her faith in the lord expressed in covenant faithfulness to a widow Verse 15, And when she had risen to up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and don't reproach her, don't stop her. Also put out some for her from the bundles, and leave it, and let her glean, and don't rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she, that which she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, um, which is quite a bit. It's like, oh man, is it like 20 pounds or something? It's quite a bit. And so Boaz is awesome. You know, he, he doesn't want to, again, like humiliate or pamper her. And he doesn't want to just give her a gift. She's there to work. But he doesn't see it as wrong to make her work more fruitful than it would be otherwise. So he says, you know, let her, let her even come like right up amongst you. In fact, why don't you throw some grains on the ground? Yeah, you just make sure, make sure, drop it. Drop some grains so that she can find it. So again, so he's not, doesn't want to patronize her. But he 
also wants to make sure she's blessed. And so she, he sends her home uh, totally loaded down with all this grain, which is really funny. Um, her blessings are a heavy blessing. Because Boaz decided to bless her, she has to carry a lot of grain home. So she's she's built, she's sturdy, she's been working all day, and she's got a wheelbarrow load to take home with her. But it's just funny, like, sometimes when you're blessed, it's heavy, it's hard work. Verse 18, she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that of which she had left after she had sufficed. So um, she kept her leftovers. So again, just this hesed, this wanting to take care of her mother-in-law. And it's just her mother-in-law. It's not even her own blood mother. But she's been converted to the Lord. And uh, so this is family. Verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where have you worked? Blessed be he who has taken knowledge of you or acknowledged you. Uh, she shone her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Okay, so we've been told a few times about this connection, but Ruth has not doesn't know she just knows his name's Boaz so she's quite confused um, she doesn't know what's going on kind of like how Naomi doesn't know what God's been up to um, Ruth hasn't known what God's been up to she just knows his name's Boaz verse 20 Naomi said to her daughter-in-law blessed be he of Yahweh who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead oh so Okay, Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative to us. He is our near kinsman. So I'm just, I've got my Hebrew here. So I'm going to just check out verse 20 here. And Naomi said, uh, blessed is he to the Lord who is not, yes, his hesed. So it says there, when it says he's not left off his kindness to the living and the dead, that's hesed. That's steadfast love. That's covenant faithfulness. So notice how her speech has been transformed by this blessing that's walked into her house. She's gone from the Lord has stretched out his hand against me to God has not forgotten me or my dead children. It's a transformation. And it's all because Ruth brought home a haul of grain because she went out and worked and God brought blessing to her. And now Naomi's faith is returning. And her faith is returning. She speaks about Hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. And then she starts to explain that um, he's a kinsman redeemer, a goel, I think it is. Uh, let me just check my Hebrew here again. Uh, yeah, he's a goel. So that's a specific term. Someone who um, is able to do that function of uh, bringing up offspring for the dead. So like those, the two sons, Na remember Naomi's problem was I can't have sons today so that they could grow up and produce offspring for the dead to perpetuate your family. Uh, but here is somebody who can. So now her eyes are open to more possibilities than were before. Before, in her grief, her eyes were narrow to the impossibility of the situation. But now with this blessing that's walked into her house, she sees... Uh, that God hasn't forgotten her and that there is a way. Oh, there's a way all of a sudden. And so the eyes of faith see what God is planning. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens and that they not meet you in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean to the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So this would have been a number of weeks, I'm thinking. So this is an, a longer arrangement, time for Naomi to scheme. But um, God is providing for them. Ruth has good work. She's found safe people to be with. Naomi is taken care of, so she's not destitute or in danger. And that brings us to the end of chapter 2, the harvest chapter. And now notice how things are transformed. Now I would have pointed out if I knew the chapter is ending. So chapter 1 ends with Naomi saying God has taken everything from me. And chapter 2 ends with God may redeem everything. And so you see that contrast there. Um, and this blessing is coming through. First, Ruth's has said, steadfast love for Naomi. And now Boaz's steadfast love for Naomi through Ruth. Chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So now she wants to lay her, 
her uh, plan. Now as in Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, with whose maidens you were, behold, he winnows barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash yourself therefore and anoint you, and put your clothing on you, and get, get you down to the threshing floor. But don't make yourself known to the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. It shall be, when he lies down, that you shall mark the place where he shall lie, and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lay you down and he will tell you what you shall do okay so the end of the last chapter with talking about the wheat harvest was a setup okay so it's set up that now they're going to have all this wheat grain um, piled up and i guess you know they sleep by there are they guarding it <coughs> maybe are they just partying because it's the end of the harvest and they're having a feast maybe that as well but Naomi sees there's time for action here um, and not to let an opportunity pass. But faith takes action and that Ruth is meant to kind of prepare herself in a nice way and go and try to have a private meeting with Boaz and then see what he does. Ruth, with a typical statement showing a good heart of faith and obedience, says, verse 5, she said to her, all that you say I will do. She went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Now there's some discussion about what uncovering the feet means. Um, does it, was it just to wake him up or what? I'm not sure. Or is it just about a symbolism afterwards? Uh, I'm not sure. But it says in verse 8, it happened at midnight that the man was afraid. No, no, no. That can't be right. Uh, verse 8. I'm going to check my Hebrew. Give me a sec. Oh, it's because he trembled. Okay, so he probably got cold. Uh, he turned himself and behold, a woman laid his feet. And he said to her, who are you? Remember, there's no lights out. And she answered, I am Ruth, your handmaiden. Spread therefore the skirt of your hand over your handmaiden, for you are a near kinsman. Okay, I'm going to go check out the Hebrew again in just a sec here. Uh, okay, so you remember before it talked about how Ruth had come to find cover over the wing of the Lord. And now with that skirt, it says, therefore, your skirt, spread your skirt your skirt that's your wing over your handmaiden so it's the wing of your garment and so there is this echo about the the wing of the lord covering ruth spiritually is ruth saying can you express that practically with me coming underneath your wing um, and then she says you're my near kinsman so boaz would understand that she's talking about this legal situation where he has he he can possibly come and be their Goel, their Redeemer, and um, and marry her in order to have offspring for the dead. So she, she's she's not available to everyone, you know. Um, not any, anyone can raise up offspring from the dead, so her options are very limited, which is part of why Naomi thought everything was so impossible before. Verse 10, he said, Blessed are you by Yahweh, my daughter. You have shown much more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as you didn't follow young men, whether rich or poor. So again, her character shows she's not just out there flirting, he's, but she's actually trying to um, attract the man who is best for Naomi. 11. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do to you all that you say, for all the city of my peoples knows that you are a worthy woman. Uh, I'm going to check out that verse too. That sounds, the phrase sounds important. That you are a Esheth Hayil. And I think that's the same uh, description there is in Proverbs 31 of a, a noble woman, is an Esheth Hayil. Um, now, it is true that I am near kinsman however there's a kinsman near than i oh here comes another problem and so god's gonna have to help out here verse 13 stay this night and she'll be in the morning that if he will perform to you the part of a kinsman well let him do the kinsman part but if he will not do the part of a kinsman to you then will i do the part of a kinsman to you as yahweh lifts lie down until the morning 
She laid his feet until the morning. She rose up before one could discern another. Okay, she didn't want to bring scandal on here or look like some something untoward had happened in the evening, so she got up early enough to get away. Uh, for he said, let it not be known that the woman or a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the mantle that is on you and hold it. And he held out and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And he went into the city. So that is a lot of barley. Like if an ephah was a lot, this is a lot, a lot, a lot. And so she, again, is just hauling blessing home from Boaz. He's, You see such a mix here of people's faith to the Lord and desire for people to be blessed, being paired together with actions by these people to bless these people. It reminds you of James, where James says, don't just say, blessed be you, be fed, be covered with clothes, and do something. That's what James says. And Boaz and Ruth are the did it, done something kind of people. They say, I want you to be blessed, and then they give them the blessing. She said, these six measures of barley gave, uh, okay, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who are you, my daughter? Um, she told her all that the man had done to her. So there's, this is an interesting question. Who are you? I think she's trying to figure out, like, you got to name yourself. you got to, like, what has God done, God done to you? Are you? And I think there, in the Hebrew, there's some play of names. If, are you a servant girl? Are you a maiden? Are you a daughter-in-law? Are you going to be a wife? And so this, this question, who are you, my daughter, um, is making... Ruth think about the social transformation she's about to have from foreign girl or daughter-in-law she's about to become the wife of an old man or you know do you have faith for this and she said these six measures of barley gave he me for he said do not go empty to your mother-in-law then said she sit still my daughter until you know how the matter will fall for the man will not rest until he has finished the thing this day okay so now there's the problem of the the nearer kinsmen that wraps up chapter three chapter three is about that evening interlude and about the the request for boaz to do something and now we see how it goes in chapter four now boaz went up to the gate and him and sat him down there and behold the near kinsman of whom boaz spoke came by to whom he said, Ho, oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down. Now, that's a weird way of putting it, Ho, oh, such a one. But I, I think the Bible has blanked this person's name because he doesn't come off very well. Um, he doesn't want to be the kinsman redeemer, even though it's, it was his job. And you kind of ask, like, what have you been doing this whole time? And so they don't honor him with his name in scripture. They don't overly shame him by putting it in there either. But they don't, like, include him in the lineage of scripture he just drifts off into the nameless uh whirlpool of history verse 2 he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said sit you down here they sat down he said to the near kinsman naomi naomi who has come back out of the country of moab is selling this parcel of land which it was our brother elimelech's i thought to disclose it to you saying buy it before those who sit here and before the elders of my people if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem besides you, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now notice uh, Boaz here being kind of tricky. He doesn't want to come off as being like, I want to marry Ruth. He does, I don't even know if he mentioned, yeah, a little bit. He starts about the land. And so it's a bit of a setup here. Um, he wants to get the guy thinking about the land, and then there's a bit of a switcheroo going on here. But it's just interesting that he doesn't, he's not super forthright. He's uh, negotiating. Verse 5, then Boaz said, what day, th sorry, the day you buy the field of the, out of the hand of Naomi, you must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance okay so this is this legal thing that's been binding ruth to no marriage because um, she has this covenant obligation to raise up this son through a, a kinsman and he's saying okay you can have ruth you can have the field but you also have to have ruth and ruth also needs to bear a son for elimelech's uh, lineage 
Verse 6, the near kinsman said, Oh, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption on you, for I can't redeem it. And so he doesn't want to take on Ruth and Naomi and the people. He just, just wanted the land. And so this is not an example of Hesed. This is a guy who's kind of thinking with his wallet. And uh, and that's fine. And Boaz set up this situation to spook him. Um, so that if he's not noble and righteous, he'll have an opportunity to leave. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning exchanging to confirm all things a man drew off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was the matter of attestation um, in Israel. So the near kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he drew off his shoe and Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witness to this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi, and moreover Ruth the Moabitite, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead of his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and of the gate of his place. You are witness today. Okay, so with this practice of raising up name for the dead, um, in the, the Hebrew people, they, they kind of knew, you know, everybody dies, but this gave their name a kind of immort immortality. Um, people would know their their heritage and stuff and be able to track back their generations. And though, though everyone died, at least there would be someone to remember you. But if your children were cut off, there'd be no one to remember you. And so they wanted to bring up this way of, of holding on to the promises, holding on to the lineage, tracing your way back to Abraham. Um, and so if chapter one starts with these men going to death into this situation where it looks like they'll be they'll be lost Elimelech will be lost Malin and Chilean will be lost chapter four the final chapter uh, Boaz is publicly rejoicing that he gets to show steadfast love to the dead and to take Ruth and raise up children in their name to redeem their property and give uh, and restore the lineage Verse 11, all the people who were in the gate and the elders said, we are witness. Yahweh make the woman who has come into your house like Rachel and like Leah, which too built the house of Israel and do you worthily Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. So interesting. Notice I was pointing out the uh, similarities to the patriarch stories at the beginning. And now here's this blessing in the name of the patriarchesses, if that's a word. Matriarchs. Yeah, that's the one. They're matriarchs. They're being blessed for to be like Rachel and Leah, who were super fruitful and had all those sons and made the tribes of Israel. And their names are put as blessings over Ruth. And so they're claiming for her, you know, to be a woman who gives birth to really important people. That's what the blessing is. And it's and it's in this this context and in this atmosphere and in this this situation of these these people, Naomi and Boaz and Ruth, wanting to just be faithful, believing that God is a covenant keeping God and keeping covenant with people. And then the people around it cheer on that this is coming together and say, may this Ruth be a great mother of Israel and give birth to some smoking important people. Verse 12, and let your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah of the seed which Yahweh shall give you of this woman. And again, okay, so this this is so awesome that this blessing is coming out of this people. And it's almost like they kind of understanding that they're a part of something much bigger than just a court proceeding. Because you remember Tamar was this foreign girl who threw her, her kind of like risk-taking was but wanting to raise up um a child for the dead her husband's her husband died or and judah didn't want to give her another one so she was going to go to eternity without uh a child and those sons were going to just have no lineage and judah judah was afraid so that's what happened she used her risk-taking to get impregnated by judah but then she ended up um, giving birth to perez in the name of the dead and so they see this going on and they say, oh, here's another opportunity for a foreign woman to raise up an important person in the name of the dead. And so that God can even show faithfulness to the dead through a foreign woman because of her faith. So they see this and, and they speak these blessings and name the name of God over, over top of this situation. It's wonderful. It's amazing. 
So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and Yahweh gave her conception, and she bore a son. Verse 14, And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh. So here's the women, you know. Naomi was like all alone when she came back to Bethlehem. Now she's got crowds of people cheering her name. The women said to Naomi, uh, blessed be Yahweh, who has not left you this day without a near kinsman, and let his name be famous in Israel. He shall be to you a restore of life, and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it on her bosom and became nurse to it. Okay, so again, like, there's all this intermixing because... This child was meant to be a direct descendant of Naomi. And it isn't, but it is. It's a descendant of Ruth, who's a daughter-in-law, and of uh, Boaz, who is like a second cousin, or however it worked. But Naomi adopts him. And uh, and then at verse 17, the women, her neighbors... Hold on one sec. Uh, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, and it's funny, so the community names this child. There is a son born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. David. Now this is the history of the generations of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron. Hezron became the father of Ram. Ram became the father of Amminadab. Amminadab became the father of Nashon. Nashon became the father of Salmon. Salmon became the father of Boaz. And Boaz became the father of Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of David, the great king of Israel. And so you see all these themes together. Why is this important? Uh, because of David, who he was to Israel, the man after God's own heart. But it's also just such a story of faithfulness. And it's interesting, again, that they, they take this generation. Um, Israelite narratives show honor to people by how many generations they go back to show their lineage. And so this is such great honor to David that they go back so many generations. But it starts with Perez, who's the son of Tamar, going through um, Boaz, who married Ruth. And so, and these women are women of faith, who show their faith through faithfulness, even to the dead. And God loves it, and he blesses them. And may we grow to have just faithful hearts that believe that God is faithful, and so we'll try to be faithful to you, trusting that God will bless us even in the midst of and after any calamity, because God can do it. And amen.